0: Hi, uh, this is Dr. Randy Bach. I'm pleased to have another uh, coronavirus conversation on our Facebook page, Viral Conversation, and elsewhere on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, I'm honored today, July 20, 2022, um, to have with me Dr. Gary Sidley, who's a uh, consultant psychologist now retired in the UK. Uh, He's living in Lancashire. And I was uh, uh, pleased to have him. well, to get to watch his lecture recently on a group called uh, panda uh, pandata.org and he talked about the british nudge unit which uh has kind of spy connotations uh i think in terms in, in, in an age of war uh you know disinformation misinformation is, you know potentially appropriate and the question is what war were, were we in and did we need this uh so i'm going to turn it over to dr sidley maybe you can elaborate on my introduction and uh tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got interested in the
1: subject matter at hand. Mm. Okay, Uh, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, I I worked in the NHS in mental health services for 32 years, initially as a psychiatric nurse, but then for the most part as a qualified clinical psychologist working with adult mental health problems. Um, I did that up until 2013 when I opted for early retirement. Um, from that point, I was a campaigner, really, for better mental health services. You know, I, I, I did, and I still believe we can offer uh, people in dis- emotional distress much more effective service than we did in my time. It was ways of improving that. So I spent my time as a campaigner, um, working in various groups, um, trying to improve mental health services. Right up until uh, 2020, of course, when the COVID era began, early 2020. Um, and I knew from the outset, you know, I was arguing about this in February 2020, that this was, wasn't right. You know, we, we were on the cusp of something that was not going to be good, to say the least. How
0: did you know that? What
1: were the signs for you? Yes. Um, It's a good question, and it's almost quite difficult to pinpoint why some people know that this is wrong and other people really struggle and still struggle. I I think for me, there are probably two, maybe three reasons. I I, I think one was that as part of my work in the NHS, I had spent a fair bit of time working alongside infection control Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, people, and um, I don't want to slur the whole profession, but you know, um, even though I think they often are well meaning, I always got the sense that they were quite uh, uh narrow in their focus, struggled to see the bigger picture, and often came up with pretty impractical suggestions. I also, one of my main interests, my PhD, my research doctorate, was in risk uh, around suicide, um, and the with a focus on how good we're not so good we are at assessing risk future risk um and so i i, I realized that risk assessment was not a, uh, a particularly rigorous process <laughs> it was very difficult to predict uh, risk for people and there was this terrible uh, tendency in mental health services to be risk averse so that you know we would we would crush People won't let them take any chances. No, It's a funny
0: thing, um, you know. I think I think people have a hard time, kind of figuring out the orders of magnitude difference between certain things and things that can or might happen. Mm. Uh, and I, I think people have a you know natural biologic uh, you know clear fear um, reaction. I mean, uh, we see we have, we have a lot of number of rabbits uh, in our garden these days, and it, it's very useful for them to have a, a high Perception of fear because they're rabbits. They're tiny. They're delicious, and mm-hmm. and they, they are they are you know herbivores. So they're going to be sitting there munching for a long time in the open, and so it's reasonable for a bunny rabbit to be scared. Uh, less so for a lion uh, if you're you know higher up on the food chain. Now, I think we're pretty high on the food chain, and we don't really have that many. You know, I don't think we have any real natural predators right now. Um, so, so I think our biologic fear has somewhat transmuted to these things that we you know want to. We still have this fear need. And uh, we kind of transmitted onto our our transmuted onto other things. And I think other people are aware of that and can try to, you know, kind of change the amplitude and the volume on the things that we have out there. If we're not in fear, we're not as easily uh, led or guided by those of us who, by those around us, our our leaders who might, you know, somehow benefit from leading us, uh, even, you know, at times when when we don't really have that much to
1: fear yes that's right and uh, when well, we do get risk completely out of perspective i think um like i'm, I'm sure you've heard this randy i know i have right this uh, COVID era here i've heard people say to me you know gary if something can save just one life truly it's, <laughs> it's worth it you know and I, and well, rather... that, means that, that means you should never get in an automobile well exactly yeah. I tend to respond to that one rather more flippantly for my sins. I say that apparently there's a cluster of people who die each year while putting their trousers on because they fall over and crack their heads. Yeah, no, it's um, true. Our
0: former president's uh, ex wife, Ivana Trump, uh, sadly and tragically, she's only 73 or so. Uh, she died like a week ago. And it turns out she fell down her sta- her spiral staircase. Uh, and New York doesn't have many of them. New York City does not have many spiral staircases. And so mm. I assume she's in a duplex in a penthouse apartment kind of thing. And, uh, you know, she tripped, she fell, she died. And mm. so that, I mean, I, that that has totally stopped me from climbing the stairs. Uh, <laughs> it's it stopped me from, you know, having an, any aspirations to purchase a penthouse apartment um, mm. and and wearing high heels. I've totally given that up.
1: Mm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but as I, was, as I was saying, I think, I think there's probably three reasons why I was aware that this wasn't right. One was because I guess I'd had contact with infection control before. Two, I think it was well well gendered upon risk and risk issues and risk aversion. And the other one, which kind of evolved in time, was that I, I was always aware of how, um, well, let's not mince our words, how, how, how corrupt Big Pharma is, and that's been for decades. In mental health, I, I did a lot of work looking at people who have been on medication all their life and the way that uh, the pharmaceutical industry pushed these things at people and just looking at some of, the, uh, some of the criminal charges that have been brought against the major drug companies over the last two, three, four decades is quite, you know, quite staggering, really. Um, so I kind of knew that as well. So I think all those three came together. suggested to me that this didn't sound right. So I started to do my own research then and dig a bit more around figures. So
0: I'm going to get into that research in a second. I just want to give one kind of counter-narrative thought, which is that if the pharmaceutical companies had a judicial wing and they could look at the political classes, and if we saw politics as an industry, uh, I would venture to say that politics is probably slightly more manipulative and corrupt than the pharmaceutical industry, which at the very least, does have some useful products, antibiotics and whatnot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I, I think that together, you know, they, they form kind of a, a, a perfect storm, which is a book title. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the pharmaceutical industry has its interest, and they're good at making vaccines in this case or medications. Um, and the political class I think was fed by the potential kickbacks from the pharmaceutical industry. I don't think it's, I don't think the pharmaceutical industry is kind of corrupt in a vacuum. I think to be corrupt, they have to have a partner in corruption who's willing to manipulate the facts and the, and the science in order to, you know, work for themselves. I mean, the, the kind of, you know, there were pharmaceuticals out there, mind you, that theoretically could have been useful, especially in the absence of a vaccine the first year. Um, but they were quashed because they were not moneymakers. They were off patent, you know, ivermectin and HCQ. And I'm not espousing those, per se, because I don't really know whether the data's been conclusive one way or another. But the fact that they were vilified, even though they are pharmaceuticals, you know, points to the fact that it's not just pushing pills per se, because with the pills, these pills were not pushed. It was really that we we're going to hold off for the big guns, the money maker, which is uh, the vaccine, which is now being pushed to, you know, ze- children zero to two years old who have had a, a you know, a total of, of zero mortality throughout mm. the United States to
1: date uh, from COVID. Mm. Uh, so let, let's get to your, 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 your. No, just on that, just on that though, Randy, I agree with you that the pharmaceutical industry aren't alone. In Mr. Ninas, there, this whole kind of pandemic industry, I think, that that, that kind of has some kind of symbiotic relationship you know, with the political classes, with the um, you know the scientists, the uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, industry. So yeah, I think I think I think it's a you know, mutually beneficial arrangement, but I don't think it's one that's in the interest of your public, really. Uh, that's my kind of stance on that. Yeah. Okay.
0: so, so what,
1: what was the pathway you took and, and what, what has happened with that yeah well i started to, start to dig and started to research i i, I joined pretty soon uh, an organization here in the uk called the health advisory and recovery team the heart for short um which is uh, a multidisciplinary group of, of experts who've tried to uh, disseminate a different narrative to what's been pushed by the mm-hmm. mainstream um so that's been fun as you can imagine with all the censorship and the, and the vilification. <laughs> that's been lively to say the least but we've, we've hung on in there and I, I like to think we have had some uh influence at least here in the uk uh i also joined uh a group called smile free which is uh oh that was I really am- interesting
0: i, I actually you. went to the webpage, and i i i love this i i, I maybe for the while you're talking, I'll try to pull it up so people can see what it is briefly.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's just a nice. It's a little said, "Look, just like Heart, everybody's volunteers on Heart. Like we keep getting accused in Heart of being these funded by right-wing organisations. So I, I wish, wish I knew where this money was coming from because <laughs> our, our funding is every every two or three months we all throw a tenor in to keep the website going. You know, it's, it's, we're all volunteers." And the same with Smile Free, it's a very small group. What is is, is the
0: URL for that? Do you have a...
1: For for Heart, it's... Smile Free, is that the same? Smile Free is smilefree.org. Okay. free.org. Okay, carry on. And uh, So, yeah, I got involved with Smile Free, which is a group that's been uh, very uh, much against mass mandate. And that battle here, I don't know what it's like in the... In the U.S., but the battle here is is continuing because we we had some successes and masks have been dropped, and we're beginning to get them even out of healthcare as routine uh, kind of wearing in healthcare for visitors. But uh, sadly, that seems to be coming back over the last couple of weeks. So there's still a lot of work to be done there. I think um so i kind of got got, in, got, in, got involved in these various things and, and most recently in panda which is where you saw me do my presentation mm-hmm. um so i really just just spending my my time uh really trying to challenge what i think's the biggest threat in my lifetime to our, our basic human rights and freedoms
0: yep so i i just grazed through your site a little bit for people and they can find it just where you said Yes,
1: um, lots of good stuff on there, lots of videos, lots of interviews, um, and, and lots of references and really good written materials, so uh, yeah, i recommend it to anybody who's uh, concerned about masking the healthy. So, so
0: um, you know, I don't want to make, I don't want to compare, uh, you know, ants to lions, um, but you know there was a fair amount of misinformation going on, purposeful uh, mis or disinformation. You know Joseph Goebbels, Bir- um, the, the smiling face of Nazism, uh, purposefully uh, went about doing a fair amount of this for his war effort, and 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 no doubt uh, the good guys uh, have done the same in war. Um, did COVID rise to the level of war, and did the lies uh, rise to the level of wartime misinformation?
1: I I think it did. Yes, I think the thing about misinformation and propaganda, as we know, is it's been around for a long, long time in various guises. But I I just think there's something very different about certainly peacetime, at least in 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 the COVID era, is that the intensity and the sheer kind of this breadth of of misinformation, all the media, you know, in our so-called you know, civilized democracies all the mainstream media and i suspect it's the same in, in america but correct me if i'm wrong but just it's been pushing out the mainstream narrative and without any real opportunity uh, to challenge it or get your voice heard um you know, I'm, as member of heart i you know, I've spoke with colleagues who in the early days actually got as far as being asked to go on the mainstream media to give reviews views and so the producer before the program said broadly speaking what are you going to say and then they actually told them said oh well you can't come on then you know, well, so what did,
0: you, like, what did you say you were going to say
1: well, that wasn't me. That was a colleague. This was a cancer expert, professor of oncology. <laughs> I won't name him because I haven't got his permission. But um, he was going to say that a lot of cancer victims were, were being neglected because of this obsession with COVID-19. I think that was his that was his uh, right. his argument that the hospital had become the NHS service, National Health Service had become this this COVID service. And people were, you know, being scared of attending hospital. Other services were being dropped.
0: No, that's um, absolutely true. You know, I, yeah. I had um, uh, a gentleman, Doctor Paul Fritters, uh, in uh, on, on the, as a, an interview a couple months ago. And there's a thing called QALY. He he actually has another unit called Wellbe. Uh, the QALY is a quality adjusted life year, and I it's 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 I think it's Inarguable that we've lost more quality-adjusted life years, or, um, or and he's got a different unit called a well-being, which is more precise, mm. uh, from the response to COVID than from COVID itself, because the people who were neglected um, and/or died because of diseases, despair, drug addiction, uh, depression, suicide, uh, and whatnot, they lost more relative years of their lives than the you know median age 82. Uh, uh, sad, but um, you know, older victims, as it were, of COVID nineteen itself.
1: Yes, that's right. And that was the kind of point he was making, not necessarily in those terms, but he was saying that the collateral damage of uh, the restrictions would be, you know, more damaging. Yeah, well, and not just specifically cancer, life. but you
0: know, in the United States, I think there were, uh, you know, if you look at excess deaths. It, there were something on the order of, I don't know, tens of thousands, I think 30 or 40,000 more opiate deaths in the year um, that COVID restrictions took place in the 12 months than there had been the prior. And those are median age, like 35 to 40.
1: Mm.
0: And, uh, you know, who knows exactly what the quality of their lives are going to be if they're going to overdose on heroin or, mm. or fentanyl. But mm. just the mere concept that, you know, we kind of have had the opioid epidemic somewhat in check with a better economy. We not, we not only just... Restricted people, we've kind of, at least for you know, a good five seven years, we've sort of ruined the economy and people's you know, just their their kind of uh, particulate daily lives have diminished because they have fewer resources, lower you know, uh, this was more unemployment for a time. Uh, people you know spent their savings. Uh, you know, it's been a kind of a a, a vast uh, issue and problem. But let's let's get. I'm going to just put up your slide, uh, if you don't mind. Um, about nudges and maybe you can address what is a nudge and and we can go through some of these without you know in tremendous detail because people can always stop and read these on their own later.
1: Yeah sure well I think it follows on quite nicely from um where where I was really because I got interested in the COVID stuff and as a psychologist one of the things that immediately grabbed my attention was the emotive advertising that was going on and the uh You know the kind of uh, frightening images that were being shown on the tv so i started to uh, revise and dig further into the the world of behavioral science and behavioral science nudges and as you can see um on this slide here the 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 nudges are based on the fact that there are two different types of brain activity Crudely speaking you can divide it into the fast brain and the slow brain the fast brain is an ultimate result is effortless really and uh, we don't really have any voluntary control over it whereas the slow brain is deliberative and lazy and low capacity and effortful and the fact is is that humans tend to spend virtually all the time with the fast brain being at the forefront when the fast brain is in control um which works Pretty well, most of the time, because it stops us having to waste time over the minutiae of day to day decisions. Um, And usually it can be correct, of course. You know, like an example I often use is that if everybody's running in one direction uh, and you are walking in the other, it might be useful for you to turn around and follow the crowd. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we run autopilot and and these nudges, and you can see nine of them illustrated there um tend to tap into the fact that we're on autopilot most of the time so these like these are psychological techniques of persuasion that act upon us largely below our level of consciousness so we don't know we're being influenced by them um compared to the more traditional way of influencing people that the governments used to use which was like information persuasion and you know, that kind of more obvious, transparent things, we're now into this world where the government was employing a whole raft of behavioral scientists that were nudging us without us knowing to do what they would regard as the right thing. So, and, so
0: can you give us a few examples um, of what those nudges are?
1: Or yeah, I, I think if you, if you, they're probably on the slides a little bit further on, actually. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, get to I'll, slide I'll, six if you can. uh yeah so messenger nudge this is the idea that you know the perceived source of the message will have a significant influence on on uh, the power of it so if, if the if the source is someone in authority like right, witty and balance were the big guy in our uk so, yeah, so just just
0: for reference for our, our audience witty is basically dr fauci
1: yes exactly yes and balance was our chief scientist uh they did these daily press conferences where they tell us about all the scary numbers so you know they use their authority the nhs logo in in the uk people tend to worship the nhs i think that's fading now to be honest but but, that, that tended to be the thing so anytime anybody was giving a message the nhs was logo would be in the background regional accents and we tend to follow people with regional accents so you know things like that that was the messenger one the ego nudge which you can see now is is more important in a way because i think this one is a questionable ethic ethical basis really this is the idea that we all like to see ourselves as a decent human being a good guy um and therefore what the nudges did was that they made it so that if you followed the rules you were virtuous and good. And if you didn't, you were a bad guy. You were yeah. you were not virtuous. No, I heard well. this all
0: the time. On a personal basis, I heard this all the time. I had people yell at me. And, um, you know, professionals, like people with accreditations after the names, MD, MPH, uh, and so forth. Uh, at, at one point, I was at my squash club. And I was talking with a mom, and her teenage daughter was on the, the court. Um, and I, we were just talking about vaccines whether they're wise choice for a young, you know, a young teenage girl given that there's no long-term data and that young kids are this is like a year or a year and a half into the covid they haven't really gotten sick this girl had already gotten the natural immunity and whether it's wise to get a vaccine after the fact and the case of already having natural immunity oh, and i was saying you know reasonable things i'm a physician i do primary care I, i've treated patients i wasn't saying anything on torch she wasn't my patient and i was more talking general terms not about her child but about that age group and so forth. And somebody just overhearing this kind of uh, broke in. I, I prayerfully had seen him before and he's got multiple accreditations and he works in the public health sphere as a physician and whatnot. And he, not, not joking, he literally started screaming at me <laughs> and uh, how I was killing people. Mm. You know, it was just kind of uh, an odd thing. Anyway, I'm sorry to break no, in.
1: No, not at all, because I think that's a really good example of the consequence of this as well because I think this kind of shaming exercise does encourage uh, vilification of those that are chosen not to follow the rules or chosen not to be vaccinated. Um, What you have up now is obviously affect. this, This is another nudge, probably the most prominent one, whereby our emotional state has a big impact on how we behave um so what they did is they had all this scary uh, messaging all this scary kind of uh, data you were know, given to us completely out of context you know about death today without you know without saying you know they say like 150 people died of covid today isn't that terrible you know um, whereas in the u just in the uk alone under a normal circumstances 1600 people die every day oh, exactly. You know, yeah, you know, so 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 this context, um, and this this is one thing that is a really kind of uh, scary thing, is that this was strategic as well. You know, if you look at the minutes of one of our major groups of behavioral scientists that were advising the government, on the 22nd of March, 2020, their minutes actually say, and I quote, the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent that's, by using hard-hitting emotional messaging. Yeah,
0: that's over here on the lower left.
1: So that was yeah, so that was pretty clear from the outset. And why did they deliver on that? You know, they've scared everybody witless. Uh, again, I won't go into the details, but we've got, you know, I've got a professor of psychology who's doing a lot of work on COVID-19 anxiety syndrome. Well, as many as like one in five back in 2021 had anxiety levels that were of a clinical intensity, you know. But no, the the, the people were scared and still are, albeit less so. You you still see people, still see people scared.
0: Oh, absolutely, terrified all the time. I work in a medical office and, you know,
1: anyway, and
0: elsewhere. I mean, I, I, I and probably one of those people. I'm not. I'm not an actual nudge unit, and if I am, I, I think I'm doing it in the correct direction uh, to help people a little bit. So at the post office or at the, at, at the supermarket uh, clerk counter or, or at the you know office supply store, I'll see people in their twenties wearing a mask. So I'll just you know I do the Socratic method. I'm like, oh, so why you know are you are you made to do this at work? And these days, people say, no, I choose to do this. I said, oh, that's interesting. So, you know, and I, if, if I have time, I'll kind of thread out the conversation a little bit. I'll mm-hmm. say, but anyway, the, 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 the question I think that has gotten the most, generated the most interest from them is, so how long are, are you planning on doing this? I, I give a, a, a point in the future. Are you planning on doing this 10 years from now? Oh, no, oh, that would be crazy. <laughs> 10 years from now? <laughs> Come on, seriously? I said, well, how about five years? Like, no, of course not. I said, how mm-hmm. about one year? They're like, um, and I say, well, okay, so so at some point, you know, there's gonna be a time when you think it's absurd to keep doing this. So what is that point? What's gonna make you make that, that mind change? And they're like, oh, and they haven't really thought about that. They're kind of still waiting to be messaged.
1: Yes, exactly. To, to, be, to be nudged. Yes. yes, no, there's no exit criteria. not right. any no exit criteria. I mean,
0: it's not like, I mean, I understand, you know, mandates and so forth, the example I used last week, I had an, an interview with um, a great guy, Jeffrey Tucker, uh, from oh, Brownst- Brownstone yeah. in, uh, Institute brownstoneinstitute.org. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, we were talking about the, the last Japanese soldier, um, you know, how, how long you, you, you remain under those circumstances and what's going to change your mind. Hmm. 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 But, hello? Can you still hear me? Yes, I can.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, just, just on the previous one, if you just go back to the previous slide. Andy, Sorry about that. all right. Normative. Well, the other way, I think. Yeah, you know, because the normative pressure is, a, is, 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 again, another key nudge, I think. We've used the idea that we all like to be part of the crowd, but none of us really finds it that comfortable to be in a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, I'd just like to make the point again. I know I am very... Focused on masks. But one of the key reasons, and I have no doubt about this, one of the key reasons why the, the powers that be switched back in early summer 2020. If you remember, Guy Fauci was the same, I was, you know, Witty was the same. Masks shouldn't, work. beginning of 2020, masking the healthy is not a good idea. Right. Um, doesn't work. It will you know, it'll probably cause more harm than good. Around June apparently 2020. they did
0: that in, in part because they thought there were not enough masks for the health workers they didn't want to create shortage for the health workers
1: sorry i don't buy that one i do not buy that one at all because they, no. they could have used that very in a much better way uh, but no i've no doubt that because masks are such a potent way of enforcing the normative pressure nudge because the problem with normative pressure nudges is you, know, you can tell people, a well, large majority of people are supporting lockdowns and you know 90% of people are getting vaccinated, and that has an impact, but it's relatively short-lived. And to really bring it home, you need an immediate visual reminder in the real world of who's following the rules mm-hmm. and who isn't. Oh, that's and an
0: interesting that's, point. You
1: know, yeah, fair enough. It's a little bit perfect. like,
0: yeah,
1: massive I get that. Perfect. So it's kind of a, a
0: uniforming uh or yes. tattooing or whatever
1: yeah uh, yeah and i was i was on um i was on holiday recently not last week I was in croatia but we, we did a trip to venice we drove to venice in croatia yeah um and we we, st- we parked outside of venice because you can't get parking inside and we got on the train <laughs> and the, in, in italy at the moment it's still mandatory to wear a face mask on public transport now, I was with three fellow kind of like-minded individuals, so the four of us piled on the train. We got away with it, we got some luck on the way in, mm-hmm. but on the way back, we got confronted by these two, people, two Italian people who were clearly very anxious and frightened, uh, and, we you know, we're, we're saying, you must wear a mask. We say, well, we've got good reasons not to. Good reasons not to. We don't wear them. Put one on. Put one on. So we haven't got one. Good reason not to. <laughs> anyway, it's a long story. It's so the woman stormed off and, and snitched, snitched on us to the guard. <laughs> Actually, which, again, I think captures the, yep. the kind of what's happened over the last two years. Oh, absolutely.
0: I, yeah. I had, I had yeah. and this is a story from probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, we have pretty wide streets. We're in a leafy suburb of Boston here. And... Um, and I was literally, it's a quiet street. So I was walking my dog in the middle of the street and on the sidewalk, probably about, um, uh, you know, 15, 20 feet away from me laterally, uh, was a woman about 70 years old. And she's wearing a mask and, and she sees me um, and kind of like Invasion of the Body Snatcher, she, she points and her fingers, you know, kind of wavering. And she's like, you're not wearing a mask. And I'm outdoors. There's, there's been no, zero transmission. There's never been a single study showing there's outdoor transmission, especially at that distance, all, all that kind of stuff. And the, the odd thing was, as she's doing that, she's totally unfocused on where she's going, and she there's just a little bit of grass, like, uneven, and her footstep on that, she falls over. <laughs> and so um, it, it's arguably, you know, her reaction to, to COVID uh, caused more damage than COVID did. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, she was fine. Uh, she didn't want me to come approach her and help her up because that would have been worse uh, than falling Uh, but it's just for me that's i mean obviously it's memorable uh, but it's one of those incidents where you know people have this urge i mean i was not affecting her in any way um and Mm. i was i i I was far away and so forth but she needed to to point it out and and Mm. point it out vociferously a little bit like my my quote quote, unquote friend on the squash boards
1: yes you know, and I talk about these, um, these covert methods of persuasion, and uh, people who are on board with the narrative often say, Well, what's wrong with that, Gary? It's just getting you to do the right thing. And yeah. I have a fundamental problem with that for a start, because I have my next question in response to that is, Well, who decides what the right thing is? I don't remember being consulted about that. Right. But just leaving that to one side, there are a number of ethical problems with these. So I don't know whether you just want to just wind on a couple of slides, please. Because mm-hmm. uh, okay. yeah. uh, there are some major ethical problems with, 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 with the use of these. If we go forward again. Yeah. That's the one, sorry, back, go back, go back one. That's the one, yeah. Four, four problems, methods, you know, for me, this. You know, if you think about it, in a civilized society, a democracy, should our government actually be strategically inflicting emotional pain on its citizens as a way of getting them to do what they, the state, want them to do? So I think mean, that's a big. You no, know, that, that to me sounds like an authoritarian Chinese-style kind of society. And I think that this, that warrants debate and open discussion. The other problem with the methods, of course, I think you've touched on it already today, is the unintended consequences, you know, um, victimization, the collateral damage of the people not attending hospital because they're too scared, old people dying of loneliness in old people. Yeah, homes.
0: people not going to school. Kids not going to school for two years. The scores have gone down. Exactly. There's,
1: exactly. One,
0: there's one quick interjection I want to make because I remember the point I, I kind of stumbled on it a few minutes ago. In, in my conversation with Mr. Tucker, I've mentioned George Washington's use of, of smallpox, effectively inoculation, self-inoculation from one person to another, uh, trans-inoculation. But smallpox is smallpox, and, and I've always said, if this were, you know, uh, aerosolized HIV or anthrax, you know, I'd probably dig myself a bunker in the in the backyard and stay there. But it, but it's not. At worst, and we talked a little earlier ourselves about the dime, uh, Diamond Princess. We had all the data we needed to know right. Before, frankly, it hit our shores from the January 2020 uh, cruise ship Diamond Princess off the coast of Japan, 3,700 people. Ultimately, there were only 10 deaths, and those were median age 82, which duplicated itself throughout the pandemic elsewhere. And children had no symptoms, didn't even you know, have a, an, an inkling of this, and, and so forth and so on. And the, the, the wait staff, the crew, and whatnot, was median age is probably around 30, uh, had no fatalities, no severe illnesses. So right from the get-go, we knew that our mobile work population, the kind of the strivers who were you know, waitresses, waiters, um, FedEx, uh, Postal, uh, all that kind of stuff for the hospital, they, they were not at any risk. And they, their lives need need not have been upended. And we should have done what the Great Barrington Declaration declared, which is focused protection on those real. That's pretty much yeah. it. And, and isolating So I apologize for the interjection.
1: No, no, I agree entirely. Uh, the Barrington Declaration would have been the way, undoubtedly. Yeah. So the other ethical problems I have with it are not just me, incidentally. A lot of us over over here, and I hope in other countries as well, have ethical concerns about this. Uh, around consent, you now you'll know as a as a practitioner, as a medical specialist, you know, informed consent, the cornerstone of all clinical practice. Um, whether it's medical or psychological, you can't deliver, and shouldn't deliver an intervention without a fully informed consent of the target person. Um, Whereas none of that has been needed at all during this process, Um, despite some of the major figures in the behavioural science world, like Professor David Halpern, who's the chief executive of the behavioural insight teams, you know, one of the big names, If you actually look at some of his books and his writing, he's been explicit that we should not be inflicting these nudges on people Mm -hmm. without being transparent and having the full consent of citizens. He's actually said that on more than one occasion, and yet we've kind of gone roughshod over that. And it wouldn't have been that difficult. There are ways of getting consent, even with kind of population-targeted things like this. You know, there's, ways, there's forums you can have over weekends where you can get a kind of consensus of opinion as to, as to whether we actually want to proceed with these things the third ethical issue is around goals you know should we be deploying these 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 covert methods in pursuit of unprecedented contentious public health goals many of which as we've said are huge collateral damage and infringe upon basic human rights you know if the goal was to reduce violent crime, you know, to stop young men stabbing themselves, which is an issue in parts Sorry. of UK, okay, you know, that would, that, that, I would guess, that may well get most people's okay, that you can use these things, you know, you should use these nudges. But for contentious public health goals, I think that needs debating. And finally, the transparency issue, you know, because these things often act below people's level of consciousness, it does leave them open to the criticism of being manipulative. Something that's acknowledged in the behavioral science world before COVID, you know, that, that we, need have, we need to have some tra- transparency. I'm uh, talking about transparency before you do it. You know, you, people say, well, how, can you be tran- how, how can you covertly nudge someone transparently? You can have a transparent debate about whether we want to use these things. Mm-hmm. And then it is an agree- if there's agreement, you can go ahead and people would then be nudged uh, you know often without them knowing if I, if I joined a swimming club tomorrow uh what they could say to me is gary one of the things that we use are covert nudges to try and get to eat less in the canteen and and uh you know in our in our advertising material these are the kind of things we use are you okay with that now you've signed up for swimming club and i could say yes or no but after sure. that, you know, they could nudge me to the right. It was, it was there's,
0: there's, there's one other point about that and about your last slide, and I, I imagine it's it, 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 kind of between the lines there, is, is cost. You know, when you sign up for the slimming thing, uh, I assume it's outside the NHS or whatever, you're going to have some acknowledged cost. I think what was, uh, you know, a, a little bit of uh, leger de masse, you know, subterfuge uh, uh, not explained was the, the ultimate cost. You know, people were here, we were printing money. We had the stimulus, we had another stimulus, and and people were getting free money to be at home and so forth. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And now we have, you know, at least, you know, 10% inflation. And there's probably, you know, some other aspects that we're not having come to terms with because the greater deficit and whatnot. So, you know, we're we're paying probably ultimately four or five times whatever the, you know, the stimulus money we got. And so there's, you know, it's just a, a crazy, you know, bait and switch. I and mean, when we got the bait, and now we're getting the switch, and and that that's not explained. I'm not sure they necessarily understood it. You know, there's there's this aspect of public health where the term itself, as a term of art, you know, the public part has comes from the same Latin root as politics. You know, the people, and mm-hmm. it has political aspects to it that are not specifically kind of health what we think of science. And that there's you know a, you know almost always an, a manipulative aspect to it. And and again, if it were to save us from you know, an alien invasion or uh, the earth exploding uh, i think people would get on board if there
1: were reasonable data uh, yeah. in that regard yeah and I, i've had this i've had this debate Andrew, with, with colleagues who are generally on kind of my side you know if we have differ like some i have some colleagues who say that uh covert behavioral nudges should never be used mm-hmm. and i'm kind of going well i think that's well it's a bit unrealistic because i think the genie's already out the out the bottle now and that these things have been used in private sector and in public sector for for, well, for many years. So I don't think we're realistically going to stop them. Nor necessarily is that desirable, because I do think. But what I do think, as a bottom line, is that we do need to have a, this transparent review of the way our government actually uses these techniques upon its people. That's what I'm. That's what I'm striving for. And I've been for some months, not with a great deal of success, unfortunately, because there seems to be a, a stark reluctance of the powers that be and the various stakeholders. Right. So, so,
0: so, so have you heard, you know, lately, oh, that's forget about it, it's already done, we're moved on. Have you heard that aspect?
1: Well, you do hear that sometimes, yeah. This, but even before that, you know, I was banging on about this back again towards the end of 2020, early 2021. I in fact, in January 2021, I and 50-odd other psychological specialists wrote to our professional body here in the UK, which is the British Psychological Society, yep. who was right. supposed to be the guardians of ethical practice, ethical psychological practice in the UK, expressing our concerns very much like I've done today with the slides uh, and basically asking their view and. And if they had concerns about that would they you know start to get involved in a debate so we could discuss it and they, it took six months for them to respond and several prompts from us but eventually they came back and they were just very dismissive very strident you know uh, our psychologists have done a terrific job during this uh covid era uh we don't need to get consent because these kinds of decisions are outside the kind of range of individual health decisions we're doing the right thing, you no, know, our, our, our psychologists are behaving in a socially responsible way. That's the that's the phrase I keep hearing. I don't know whether you get that across the pond in the US, no. we, we do it you know, It's a socially responsible thing to do. You know, and I say, Well, it's a bit like saying it's for the greater good, which smacks like we we're talking about the war times earlier, yeah. Andy. You know, that's quite a sinister phrase to me, the greater good. A lot of terrible, uh, things, no, there, terrible things have been done. Yeah, no,
0: difficult. getting back to our friends, the Nazis, not our friends, <laughs> that, that's sarcasm. Um, you know, that they, they, the Jews were uh, basically put in the category of vermin and pests and so forth, and they were to be gotten rid of. And, and th- th- you know, there, there are ways in which kind of public health is transmuted and misused uh, to get the greater good. And then the greater good gets to be determined, whatever it is we want to do. I mean, certainly we see it in a lot of other debates, and no matter which side you happen to be on, on the abortion debate or uh, this transgendering children, Um, and generally we we hear it as the greater good. And and I think there's, you know, I personally see, uh, you know, disfiguring or mutilating or taking away the genitals of a a minor as uh, a grave. Um, misdeed, and and I think the ethics yeah. ethicists, honest ethicists throughout history would would be horrified, and and yet today that is the the policy of the United States uh, current government, and it's espoused you know that nobody should stand in the way of, of what's you know called gender affirmation. That's a totally another topic, and you know almost not quite a can of worms. But you know, the, the, but my only point about this is that that what is considered the right thing. Changes, you know, there's not necessarily a fixed right thing. When uh, I think religion oftentimes has a, a greater sense of, of what is right for longer periods of time than governments,
1: mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, and it's you know, that, and the, the British Psychological Society we were even denying that fear levels amongst the population were elevated, you know, they said they were, they were perfectly consistent with the objective threat caused by the virus <laughs> you know and complete nonsense you know it was in the was in the minutes of the behavioral scientists that they were going to strategically inflate for you. uh several insiders since you know within the advisory groups have actually admitted that they ramped up fear uh you know i've got my colleague professor spada from london south bank who's measured this within our populations like I mentioned earlier, you know, around 20% of the population with clinical intensity anxiety disorders. You know, <laughs> you know it's absolutely its our professional kind of body to just completely dismiss our concerns without really entering into any debate. Yeah. About and just yeah, them.
0: I mean, oftentimes the level of debate is shut up. Hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to just go try to go through some of the rest of your slides, and I, I have uh, one additional one that I put in. It's not your slide, the last slide I'll uh, get to. And yeah. we have about uh, 10 minutes left, so I'm going to pop these up. Uh, yeah.
1: um, so, yeah. if, I've if already, said, have, already mentioned that. That was our request to the British Psychological Society. We also tried to get the government to do an independent review as well, but they're not interested either. So, they've no, they've no intention at this particular moment. These are just a few of the comments from uh, behavioral scientists, uh, some, t- some of them before the COVID era, of course. This is David Alpen, you know, 2019. If governments wish to use behavioral insights, they must seek and maintain the permission of the public. It can't be clearer than that. Right. You know, can't be clearer than that.
0: Right. I just want to point out that Cass Sunstein, uh, I think he's local to the Boston area. He's a, um, a lawyer a very prominent uh, politically, uh, very bright guy, and he's, he's a Democrat. He's not of the right. Um, and so in 2016, I'm not sure what he was talking about, but a nudge is unethical if it doesn't sufficiently draw upon deliberative processes. Yeah. So I think that's a very interesting point.
1: Yeah. I put that up there. This was, this was just a list of comments from people in the field uh, about right. the ethics of it.
0: Really. It would be interesting to hear or read what he said about this. Because people oftentimes their barometers change. In the United States, um, you know, they in the, in, in the run-up to the twenty twenty campaign, uh, both our current president and vice president said that they would stay away from vaccines because they were developed under the Trump administration. They couldn't be trusted, and how right. would we know they have been verified? And as soon as they were in power, uh, the say retroactively, I guess all those things were trustable, or
1: trustworthy. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's just these, this first quote was from Laura Dodsworth's book, which I don't know whether you've come across that in the US, the state of fear, the state of fear. She, wrote, she did the investigative journalism that our mainstream media failed to do and actually managed to interview some of the people on the inside of these advisory groups, including a number of behavioral scientists who were acknowledging that the ramp up fear beyond or way beyond what was reasonable. You know, the way we have used fear is dystopian, anonymous one said. Um, So, yeah, just just, that was just to give a flavor of uh, some of the kind of perspectives about the ethics, the lack of ethics of these things. Um, Simon Ruder was a previous Behavioral Insight team member, one of the founder members, actually. you no, know, and, and, and he said recently that the most egregious and far-reaching mistake made in responding to the pandemic has been the level of fear unwillingly conveyed on the public um you know so for the british psychological society to deny that fear was elevated just seems yeah. laughable, really um
0: yeah. so i'm going to pass over these because i think people can pause and look at it. i just yeah. um maybe we go to your goals and then <clears throat>
1: No, these are are just the things that, in Panda, uh, with colleagues in Panda and and colleagues elsewhere that we're trying to uh, achieve now, really. The first is we we need to just find out what's actually gone on. We need to kind of qualify the extent of state-sponsored behavioral science, because these guys and masses they're in every nook and cranny of our government at the moment. And that will be the same in America as well, undoubtedly. You know, I know you, are, you have two offices of the behavioral insight team in America. You have one in New York and one in Washington, D.C. And so they are active. They're in every every department in the U.K. Um, and we need to know how much we're spending on them, where they are, <laughs> and whether it us as voters and taxpayers, we actually want them there. Uh, so I also need to know who made these decisions, who actually decided on these uh, scare tactics, and as I've tried to describe elsewhere, you we're know, trying to do that at the moment. Everybody's turning their back on it and saying, No, nothing to see here. It wasn't me. I didn't do that. Well, mm-hmm. I even had a message from the, somebody at the Behavioral Insight team, personal message saying, No, I've, I've read your letters, and just to say all this scaremongering and nothing at all to do with us, we never would do anything like that. Because mm-hmm. I begs the question, well, if it wasn't, you know, the behavioral insight team, but it wasn't the variable scientists on the group advising the government, who the hell was it? You know, yeah. where were these decisions being made? I think we yeah. need to figure out where those decisions being made. Well, I think
0: the template was there in advance. And it's interesting to me because uh, you know, the UK had basically its right of centre, its Conservative government, uh, and we had at one point, you know, our right of centre and then now our left of centre uh, government up, and and you know and Canada was left of center. I think the Australia was right of center. New Zealand was left of center, mm-hmm. but but it didn't really matter. Aside from the UK originally, which I think showed some bravery, and it sort of fell along with uh, uh, Boris's um, uh, you know bravery uh, with with his actual own physical illness of COVID. Um, but uh, you know the, it was it was not it was irrespective of the. leaning of the government everyone seemed to have the same uh, template already in mind and there's you know i'm not a conspiracy guy but i do think that there were influences across the board and there's kind of a transnational aspect to this where they're getting their blueprint not from the populace Uh, there were some places very 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 few that that acted bravely i think um you know sweden you know stands out but there were other places for whom this was not really even a problem all throughout kind of Equatorial Africa. You don't really hear much about COVID mm-hmm. and all to the good. I mean, they don't necessarily have this on their their scale of problems. You know, I, back in medical school a thousand years ago, um, I heard from a lecturer that, you know, our diagnosis of lumbar you know sciatica was not really uh, seen very much throughout large swaths of Africa as a problem because, um, you know, people don't have the ability to take time off or get a disability um at the time um and so they didn't. you know it's not a diagnosis people understand they get pains and they just kind of carry on but here we kind of take time off we have all kinds of adjudication and we have disability payments forth so, so it becomes a thing because there's a thing that, that's yeah. a very imprecisely said but um you know but so like who
1: are these... like, well, like you uh, you know i'm not a conspiracy theorist either, I'm, in fact i'm the furthest away from a conspiracy theorist we'd ever be i'm 63 year old now and up until 2020, I'd never been on a protest at all. I got my head down, worked hard, and assumed that what I was being told by the state and others was broadly true. <laughs> and then this came up. You know, at yeah. first I tried I tried to dismiss it as incompetence and panic. That's all, that's all, incompetence and panic. That quickly became insufficient to explain the coordination of it. So I thought, okay, it's incompetence panic and some opportunistic agendas jumped on as well. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. But I'm afraid at the moment, no, I'm, I'm, this 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 globalist influences. Yeah, and that's crazy. I
0: mean, I I, for, I, I, I mean, I, there has been some not aspects that are not lockstep. I and mean, I, I do think currently China, it, you know, they should they should be actually just doing a victory lap, a political victory lock. They got rid of their biggest <laughs> adversary, Mr. Donald Trump, uh, or yeah. they, or or whatever. You know, I'm not saying they did it per se, but. As mm-hmm. events unfolded from Wuhan outward, uh, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether deliberate or not, uh, they achieved you know kind of the, the chopping down of our economic success. We were at the peak, you know, efficiency, mm-hmm. lowest unemployment, highest rate of growth, you know, leading the world. It's a, boom, that's all gone. So rather than doing a victory lap, they're doing zero COVID, you know, locking their own people up in Shanghai and, and creating their own economy. It's kind of it's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody once wrote that uh, anti-Semitism is its own punishment because ultimately every place that's virulently anti-semitic you know they, they die on their under their own poison of their own bile and and you know it's just kind of a funny thing this this kind of uh, covid thing this huge zero covid aspects you know they wind up falling under their own weight so i mean that that's the the morbidly good news out of this uh, i don't i, mean, I don't I, you know i don't have too much schadenfreude because i don't want other people to suffer per se <laughs> um I just wanted to, you know, maybe we have a couple of minutes and I'm going to give uh, kind of myself a promotion. I, I add this slide here that uh, I apologize for the crude aspect of it, uh, but basically um, I, 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 I need to make a better one. I just dropped this out from uh, our world and data uh, website and I couldn't find exactly what I wanted. But the, these big markers up here, 40, 20, 10, that's the case fatality rate. And over time... Uh, the presumed case fatality rate from early on they didn't they had no idea what it was. It was way up a high number because they didn't do much testing and so whomever they tested um, who you know are, I, uh, you know was, was was very very ill. But over time they got more tests and obviously the case fatality they found more cases there outside the hospital. the case fatality rate goes down and down and down there. So over time it has been dropping. It's really hard to read from this but basically this crowded area over here as much other countries on this graph. But all the countries are are, are dropping now. I, I isolated the UK because they have relatively good data and they didn't pollute their data by giving financial incentives as we did to hospitals to make the diagnosis and patients and uh, so forth. So over time, it's hard to see it, but this is down at, at a half a percent and now it's lower. So the case, even including all the initial, when, when, when COVID-19 was COVID-19, now it's what I call COVID-22, which is kind of the puppy, uh, you know, dachshund uh, poodle version of what was the original oath that came in um and so the messages didn't really change that much and there's still fewer messages even though you know what it's kind of like what they say about spring comes in as a lion and leaves as a lamb and so now we're kind of in the lamb uh you know puppy poodle stage of COVID not to say some people can't get bitten by a poodle uh, or trip over a lamb or whatnot but it's not it's not really the the stage that's very far above you know, colds and flus, of, of which we've learned somehow, you know, to suffer through over the years.
1: Precisely, yeah.
0: So we have about a minute or two, two minutes left, precisely. So uh, I'm going to leave, uh, say, a minute to you uh, to uh, give everyone your thoughts, ideas, and advice.
1: Well, I, I suppose my my pressing issue at the moment is to find out what's gone on with regards to the use of. Uh, state-sponsored nudging. I think I think we've got a right to know. I think we've got a right to know what our governments are doing uh, to its peoples. Uh, and uh, so I just urge everybody to start getting curious and do a little bit of reading around this, because you know I don't think people realise the extent of manipulation that we've all experienced over the last you know two plus years. Um, and I think if people started to read and started to just Dig a little. I think they would. More and more of them would get curious, uh, which would be good. Because I think to stop. I think we're, we're not out of the woods yet by any means. I think, I think you're right. As far as COVID's concerned, we're into the uh, you know, the Omicron variants and much less uh, uh, kind of risky and so on. But that's not the point. I think I, I think there are bigger agendas playing out here, uh, and 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 they, and they, the key one is a globalist one. Mm-hmm. and i think if, if we don't if people out there want to fight for the basic rights that we've had in western democracies i don't you know, i don't think i'm overstating it i think they do need to make the dissent to this authoritarianism so, much more visible
0: is there a place they could contact you or or from which you'd like to be contacted mm-hmm.
1: well they could contact me through smile3.org Richard, Richard. I'll, I'll put
0: a link up for that so i'm going to yeah. take the last minute myself and I'm going to give a shameless uh, self-promotion here. Uh, this is my book. Uh, I hope it's not on mirror image. Um, it's Overturning Zika. Uh, and the subtitle, I think, is quite pertinent the pandemic that never was. Uh, if It's not a conspiracy book. Uh, Zika is much more encapsulated. It was there. It's gone. Uh, nobody really knows what happened to it. The specialists and, and experts I've asked, they have uh, very disparate theories. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. Uh, you can go look at that, find that book on Amazon. Um, And I'm going to be very grateful for Dr. Gary Sidley for having been on our broadcast. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.